Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Amen. I mentioned that this is a series in the lead up to Easter. These are the famous words, the famous last words of Christ that He shared on the cross. But in the lead up to this moment, you need to understand that Jesus was about 30 years of age and for about three and a half years, He ministered on planet Earth. And He did all kinds of miracles and all kinds of signs and all kinds of wonders. He wowed the people of His day. He frustrated and confused religious people. He set those that were oppressed free. We see that He rose the dead. He opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the ears of those who could not hear. He went around and the Bible says that He did all things well. I love that thought that Jesus on earth did all things well. And when the moment came, He was betrayed by one of His closest disciples, one of His closest friends by the name of Judas. He was handed in to the Roman soldiers. He withstood four trials. He was sentenced to death. They released a man by the name of Barabbas so that Jesus could be crucified. Jesus was then scourged. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was battered. He was bruised. He was left a bloody mess. He was forced to carry His cross, a cross that weighed about 150 pounds. And He was so weak from the beating that He fell. And a man by the name of Simon had to carry his cross to the place that they called the place of the skull. And it was there that Jesus was nailed to this cross and the cross was stood up and it was there that Jesus hung upon this cross for a number of hours and people continued to mock Him and ridicule Him. And it was while He was on this cross, He made seven statements. And while we're not going to look at all of those seven statements, we are going to look at most of them. And what we want to do this morning as we have over the last couple of weeks, is not just read over the things that Jesus said on the cross. Because each one of those things that He said on the cross has significant meaning and carries immense weight. And we have called this series Famous Last Words because we just want to have a Selah moment, a pregnant pause as we delve into what those words meant. And week one, we looked at forgive them for they know not what they do. Ashley brought that thought, an amazing thought that Jesus would be saying, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In His moment of need, He was asking for the forgiveness of others. Mind-blowing. And then week two, Phil looked at salvation when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Which brings us to week three, which is entitled, I Thirst. Everyone say, I Thirst. Turn with me, if you would, to John, the book of John. John was one of the disciples. In actual fact, he was probably the closest disciple that Jesus had. This man by the name of John was the one who was sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He was reclining and leaning on Him and he had a special relationship with Him. And when the disciples wanted wanted difficult questions asked, they'd say, John, why don't you ask Him? Because they knew there was a special bond between Jesus and John. And it was John that wrote these words in chapter 19, verse 28. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, 
Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked it on a sponge. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. Question, have you ever been so thirsty that you felt like you were dying of thirst? I'm sure we've all got one of those stories. I have many But my more recent I'm dying of thirst story came just recently when I was in South Africa. I had the privilege, as I've already mentioned, in ministering in a number of churches. One was a church called Link Church, which I've had the privilege of ministering on a number of occasions before. And I love Link Church. It's in a beautiful part of the world called Belito, which is kind of like a holiday seaside village, which kind of quadruples at the holiday period. And they have an amazing facility. They've done so well in the 10 years that they've been going as a church. And uh, on their facility, they have a gym with a spa and uh, you can get your nails done and you can get a massage. You can have a freezing cold bath and all those kinds of things. It's an amazing facility. And not that anyone asked me to go in that, but, but they asked me if I wanted to do a workout because they know I like to keep fit. They know I like to look after myself, physically speaking. And so, you know, I, I saw that as a chance. I said, yeah, I'd love to do a workout. But what I wasn't thinking is the workout that they had in mind was not the normal workout that I'm used to, but this was a CrossFit workout. And CrossFit is something different than what I normally do. I've never done a CrossFit session in my life, but I was committed, church. You need to know, I was committed You know, I've talked a a strong game and so I've said, yeah, I'll do a workout with you. Now, these guys are like 15 years, 20 years younger than me and I'm doing something I've never done before. And what they do every Friday, they get together as a staff, all those that are willing to do a workout together and they call it Fitness Friday. I want to tell you, by the time I'd finished, I I call it something else. I, I, I got some other words, there's lots of Fs in there, but it ain't Fitness Friday. And uh, in actual fact, for me, it wasn't, it's, it's not CrossFit. For me, it was cross-unfit. I mean, fitness is subjective. I, I like to think that I'm a fit guy, but it all depends on what you ask me to do. And by the time I'd finished this particular workout, I realised that I was not fit for CrossFit. I am more cross-unfit. And so here I was doing something that I'd never done before. So just spare a thought. They're 10, 15, some 20 years younger than me, just spare a thought. And, and did I mention that uh, in this gymnasium, there was no air conditioning, spare a thought. And did I mention that in Belito, it's a lot like the Gold Coast where there is high humidity. The humidity was sitting about 90, 95%. So I'm doing something I've never done before. All the guys there are much younger than me and they are pushing me. I mean, they're pushing me. I felt them pushing me. And uh, then I, there was no air conditioning and there was high humidity. And I want to tell you, being the, the Australian male that I am, with just a little bit of pride, um, I had to keep going and, and try to keep up with them. I, I want to tell you, that they, they, they hammered me. In the end, a basic sit-up. I couldn't even do a basic sit-up. I was just, it was the ugliest sit-ups I've ever done. I was, I was just smashed. And I remember just you know, gasping for air and all I wanted was water, water. And there's no water fountain in this gym either. This is like hardcore gym. And so I ran off to the toilet 
just to get some water, just to put some water on my face and, and get some water into my system because I was dehydrating. And I came back and, and, and they gave me this patronising... They, they put it under the banner of care, but it wasn't about care. It, there wasn't an ounce of care in their comment. It was just patronised. They said, are, are you okay? That wasn't care. They were just mocking me. And i got to be honest with you, at that moment, I felt like I'm dying of thirst. And I'm sure if I went around the room, we've all got a I'm dying of thirst story. Anyone felt like they were dying of thirst? Well, this portion of Scripture that we look at with Christ, Jesus, it's not a I feel like I'm dying of thirst story like mine or like yours. This is Jesus actually dying. These are the last moments of Christ's life. And He's so thirsty, He asks for a drink. And the soldiers heard this request. And there at the bottom of the cross was a jar of wine vinegar, or some translations say sour wine. Now what the sour wine was, was exactly that. It was water, but because of the high bacteria, they would put wine in the water to fight off that bacteria so you didn't get sick from drinking the water. But because the wine mixed with water was sitting in the sun, it would usually ferment and go off. Hence why it was sour wine. And this sour wine had a twofold purpose. One was for the soldiers themselves to drink, because as you can imagine, they would stand for long hours in the blazing sun and they were not allowed to leave their post until the job was done. And so they would sip on this sour wine in order to revive themselves and not get dehydrated and pass out to make sure that the job got done. The second fold reason was for the prisoners, those that had been crucified. And it was this drink that Jesus asked and it was the soldiers that reached into that jar with a branch and offered Jesus some of that sour wine. And it was in this setting that Jesus on the cross utters these words, I am thirsty. And it's so easy to overlook those little words and miss the significance of what those little words mean for you and I. And so I want to delve into these three words, I am thirsty, so that we can get a greater understanding of who Jesus is, his character and his nature. Because these words are powerful in statement and powerful in meaning and powerful in purpose because they highlight numerous aspects of his character and nature. Are you ready to go on a journey with me? The first thing that we see from these words is it highlights Jesus' humanity. It highlights his humanity. You see, this thirst was a physical thirst. This was a cry of distress. This is one of those moments where Jesus displayed his full humanity. You see, when you live the kind of life that Jesus lived, it's so easy just to write him off as the Son of God, a freak of nature. And, and it's so easy for us to say, Jesus doesn't understand. But these moments are the ones that highlight just how human Jesus was. It was at this moment, Christ entered fully into our suffering. 
And what I love about this thought is that we have one who is able to identify with our suffering, with our hurt and with our pain. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. I love this thought that Jesus left the splendour of heaven. He was born as a babe in a manger. He lived for some 33 years. And in that time on earth, everything that I've ever experienced, everything that you've ever experienced, Christ experienced first. That betrayal. Jesus was betrayed. If you've ever been betrayed, know that we have a high priest who's also been betrayed. If you've ever felt left out and lonely, if you've ever felt abandoned, know this. Jesus felt left out and abandoned. Maybe that first day of school and, and, and you go to a new high school and, and you don't know anyone and no one's talking to you and you just feel isolated. You feel all alone. I want you to know when Jesus went to the cross, all His disciples left Him. He was totally abandoned. It wasn't just Judas that betrayed Him. All of His disciples in that moment left Him. Jesus knows the pain that you and I go through. Maybe you've experienced a separation and divorce and the pain that is associated with that. Christ knows what it is to experience that kind of separation. He understands. We have a high priest who is able to empathise with us in every way, in every shape, in every form. The Bible says that he was thirsty. We joked about my thirsty story, but you know what? The reality is I wasn't anywhere near death. And your thirsty near-death story probably is the same. We weren't near death, but Jesus has been so thirsty to the point of actually dying. I mean, these words literally are minutes away for we actually died. We have a high priest who's able to empathise with us in every way. That's why he came to planet Earth. And he put on a God suit. He clothed himself in flesh in order to experience everything that you and I experience. This is what separates Christianity from every other form of religion. Every other religion says you've got to do something in order to get to God. Christianity will have none of that. Christianity is about a God who loved us so much that He left the splendour of heaven. He came to planet Earth. He clothed Himself in flesh. He identifies with us in every way, shape and form. And whatever you are going through, whatever you've felt the pain of, He has gone before us and has felt that pain first. I thirst highlights His humanity. Secondly, it highlights His integrity. Everyone say integrity. See, there are two references in the Scriptures where Jesus was offered a drink. One at the end of the crucifixion and one at the beginning of the crucifixion. The one at the beginning is found in Matthew 27, verse 34. It says, They offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but later, tasting it, He refused to drink it. This, this moment blows my mind. See, gall was something they added to the wine as a narcotic to take the edge off the pain that someone was experiencing. This was a form of medication. This was a form of pain relief. Jesus, in the excruciating pain, was offered some Panadol, was offered some pain relief. Ladies, when it comes to pain, 
All the ladies that have given birth trump any of man's pain. I get that. But I know the stories of women giving birth and when offered pain relief, there are very few women that have said, no, thank you. It's like, give me that answer more. (laughs) Which brings me to the men in the room. Every man who's ever had a mild headache. (laughs) See, there's no comparison, ladies. There really isn't. You get a mild headache, just give me something for my head, anything, I'll take anything. Panadol, you got anything stronger? Am I talking to the right people? Anything to take the edge off the pain that we're experiencing, we will take. But here's Christ on the cross, been beaten, battered, bruised, betrayed, abandoned. And he's, he's been given an opportunity to take the edge off the pain that he's experiencing. And Christ says, thanks but no thanks. He rejects that which is on offer because he wants to be in his fullness of mind. He knows what is about to happen. He knows what he's about to enter into and he doesn't want this moment to be nullified by not being in the fullness of his thinking. Jesus refuses because he wants to be in his right mind. He wants to make sure that he not only finishes a job, but he finishes the job well. I mean, these first two points just make me stand in awe of Jesus. Just putting aside his divinity for one moment, just looking at him as a man. I mean, as a man, he's a champion. Tempted and tested in every way and yet without sin. Offered some pain relief in his greatest moment of pain. And he says, no. This Jesus is an absolute champion. Let us never forget that, church. These words I thirst highlight his humanity, his integrity, and also his humility. It says, so that the Scriptures would be fulfilled, he said that I am thirsty. I love this thought. In sharing these words, he only did it at the right time. In Psalm 69... Verse 21, it says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Jesus was aware of what the psalmist wrote many, many years earlier. And Jesus is not going to do anything without the Scriptures being fulfilled. He's not too early. He's not too late. He doesn't rush anything. He doesn't lag behind. He waits for that perfect moment He humbles himself to the Father's will. We saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus, in full anguish, dropping sweatlets of blood, He says, Father, if this cup can be removed from me, so be it. Yet not my will, but Yours be done. He surrenders Himself. You can only surrender yourself if you are humble of heart. And Jesus, who is living a truly humble life, doesn't do anything until the Scriptures are fulfilled. Jesus humbled Himself and was obedient even in death. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus knew the purpose of His suffering and He humbled Himself 
and surrendered to it. You know, I, I don't presume to know what it is that you are facing and what you are going through. But I do know some of the suffering that comes our way gives us some of the greatest opportunities to showcase our faith that times that are good don't have. And so I don't mean to belittle your pain and I don't want to be insensitive to your pain. But Jesus is highlighting us to us the importance that when we're facing painful situations to humble ourselves to the will of God the Father. And not just ask for a quick escape because in asking for a quick escape, we could miss something greater that God is trying to do. I remember when I was in hospital a couple of years ago and some of the pain that I suffered personally, physically, and being able to go through that season of my life, what that has done for me has opened doors to be able to speak into people's lives that I wouldn't have been able to have had I not been through that. And even more recently in South Africa, as I shared something of my story to those who knew nothing of what I'd been through in 2016 and what we'd been through as a church, and then I showed the photo of my heart surgery. People, you could see the air being sucked out the rooms. Because to that moment, they're just thinking, I'm just a preacher telling a good story. And then they see the, the, the weight and the severity of what my body was facing and what my body went through. And to be able to come through with a glint in our eye as a church and a smile on our face and a spring in our step. I'm telling you, that's where the testimony is. It's us not giving up. It's us humbling ourselves to the circumstances and the situations that come our way and not being ones that are quick to complain and whinge. Paul, one of the great apostles who wrote much of the New Testament, faced this thing in his life that he called a thorn in his flesh. And let's be honest, we don't know exactly what that thorn was, but we do know that that thorn was not removed. And Scriptures would suggest that it was never removed. There are some things in life that are a problem to be solved and there are other things in life that are attention to be managed. They're not going away, they're attention to be managed. And if it's not a problem to be solved, then it is a tension to be managed. We need something to help us manage that tension. And the Bible calls that grace. And Paul learned something incredibly important that day. And I believe he learned it from Christ Himself. That when something in your life that is so painful that is not going away, you need grace. And Paul learned that it's far better to have the presence of God's grace than the absence of the thorn. I don't know what the thorn in your life is. I don't know what the pain is in your life. I don't know what it is that you're presently facing that feels so painful. We're going to stand with you as a church for deliverance. We're going to stand with you for healing. And I believe God is a God who delivers and heals. But where He does not bring deliverance and where He does not bring healings, He does bring His grace. There's always an answer for your circumstance. There's always an answer for your situation. There's always an answer for your suffering and the pain that you are going through. These words, I thirst have such significant, deep meaning. Jesus showed us that in your pain, surrender. Surrender. Be humble. Be humble. Because God is often doing more behind our backs than He's doing in front of our face. Maybe you're looking over your life and you're saying, man, I just thought I would be further down the track than I am right now. I felt like that. But sometimes it's good just to look back over your life and say, you know what, I might not be where I want to be, but I thank God. 
I'm not where I was. And I think most of us in this room could say, you may not be where you want to be. But thank God, we're not where we used to be. I mean, I told the story just recently about when I met my wife, then girlfriend, 34 years ago. I mean, that was a great day, but thank God I'm not back there. I mean, I had really bad hair back then. I mean, thank God we're not back there. As good as those early days were, I thank God that I'm not back there. I'm not where I want to be. We haven't arrived as a church. I haven't arrived as a husband. I haven't arrived as a parent. I haven't arrived as a leader. And the weight of that can be overwhelming. But hey, you know what? Thank God I'm not back where I was. We are moving forward, church. Amen. And I believe we do that as we continue to say surrendered to God as Jesus did to His Father on the cross. These little words, I am thirsty, they highlight His humility, His integrity, His humility, and also His divinity. With everything screaming against Jesus, Jesus knew who he was. That's why I love this song we've been singing. I am who he says I am. When you look at Jesus on the cross, he does not look like the saviour of the world. In actual fact, that was one of the accusations while he was on the cross. They mocked him with these words. You who say you can save others. Why didn't you get down off the cross and save yourself? That was one of the accusations that came his way. Because Jesus on the cross does not look like a winning story. Jesus on the cross does not fare well for everything he said to that moment. It flew in the face of all the testimony that He said about Himself. But Jesus in and of Himself knew who He was. And I want you to know, church, that you're going to face some days that are dark. You're going to face some seasons that aren't pleasant. But you need to know who you are in Christ. Jesus teaches us that no matter what you are facing, no matter what you are doing, it does not change who you are. You are a child of God. Jesus knew that He was the Son of God. What was happening to Him was not undermining, but was underlining who He was. I'm going to say that again. What was happening to Him was not undermining, but it was underlining who He was. The cross was a stumbling block to the Jews and it was an offence to the Greeks, but not so to Jesus. It was in fact the declaration that He was the Messiah. Everything that Jesus was experiencing was highlighting the fact that He was who He said He was. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross for a purpose. And that purpose was as a substitute for our sin. You see, the Bible says that every one of us, myself and everyone in this room, and everyone who's ever been born to this earth, was an object of God's wrath. You see, God is such a good God. He cannot turn a blind eye to wrongdoing. Can you imagine for a moment if that young man who did that shooting spree in one of the schools in America recently stood before a judge and the judge smiled at him, slapped him on the wrist and said, don't do it again and let him go. There would be outrage. There would be an outcry. There would be an uproar. 
And at that moment, we would know that that judge is not a good judge. He is not a just judge. He's a wicked judge. Because good judges deal harshly with wrongdoing. We know that to be true. Well, God, who is a good God, cannot just let our sin and our offence go unpunished. But He loves us so much, He doesn't want us to pay the full penalty of our sin. And so there's this good God who loves us, but can't let sin go unpunished. What does a good God who loves us and can't let sin go unpunished do? He came up with the greatest plan for all humanity. He brought His Son as a substitute for us. And the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the penalty of sin that was due to me and to you because of all of our offences, all of our wrongdoing, that which was aimed at us, God poured out on His Son. And when Jesus hung upon the cross, the Father turned His back as the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. The Bible says Jesus became sin. And it's in that moment Jesus cried out those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was at that moment Jesus became sin. And all the punishment that was deserving of me and you, Jesus received in and of Himself. So God being a good God deals with sin once and for all and then gives us an opportunity to be able to respond in love to this incredible gift. See, there's a thirst in us all. And it's not just a physical thirst. It's a spiritual thirst that no one but Jesus can satisfy. You see, I grew up in an English household. My mum and dad are both English. I was born here, but my mum and dad are English. And so we picked up many English cultures. And so from a very early age, I've been drinking cups of tea. And I cannot have a meal without finishing it with a cup of tea. A meal is not finished unless I have a cup of tea. I can have the best roast beef and Yorkshire pudding with the finest homemade gravy. And then I can have some dessert after that. But I promise you, as good as that is, and as full as my stomach be, there's this little place in my stomach that is reserved for tea only. You can't put dessert in there. You can't put roast beef in there. You can't put Yorkshire pudding. It's reserved for tea only. And it's not until I get my cup of tea that I'm satisfied. And I want to tell you, there's many things that you can do in life that will bring joy to your heart. Some of you love sports. Some of you love gardens. Some of you love the outdoors. Some of you love beaches. Some of you love all kinds of things. And there's many things that can thrill our heart, but there's a place in our heart. A little God-shaped hole in our heart that nothing or no one can ever satisfy or ever fulfill. I love my wife. We've been together for 34 years. But I'm telling you, there's a place in my heart that is reserved wholly and solely for God. And if we try and fill it with anything else, we will always fall short. In John chapter 4, verse 13, this is Jesus speaking to a woman that he met at a well. And he said to this woman, can you get me a drink? 
And so this woman engages in a conversation with Jesus. She gets him some water and Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water again and again and again. Jesus was talking about a thirst that is in every human being. It's a thirst and a reconnection for God himself. Can I have the band come? That'd be fantastic. And the fifth and final thing this morning is simply this. These three words speak of his victory. See, this statement came from a position of victory. The Bible says that knowing everything had now been finished, Jesus said, I am thirsty. See, while Jesus wasn't smiling on the cross, he endured knowing that a great victory had been won. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, on our darkest day, we need to remember one thing, that in Christ, we win. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. I don't know how bleak it is. I don't know how dark things may be. But we serve a God who has gone before us and has overcome the very best that hell threw at him. And he shook it off as we shake off a fly. There was no contest. Jesus went to the cross on purpose for a purpose. And having achieved that purpose, he gave up his spirit. Our God is such a good God. And he knows you by name. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He knows you on your best day. He knows you on your worst day. And here's the cool thing. Even on your worst day, he is still madly crazy in love with you. You've got to stop beating yourself up. You've got to give yourself a break and change your focus from your mistakes, your wrongdoing, to the one who's able to heal us, help us, cleanse us, and forgive us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 